Hi there, I'm talking to you. Yes, you. My name is Sherry, my pup's name is Sunny, and we're training to be an animal-assisted counseling team. You're listening to the Therapy Dog Talk podcast, the show that interviews past, present, and future therapy dog teams about how they're making an impact in their communities. Today we're talking with Dr. Sunday Agbanika about what it's been like to pioneer animal-assisted interventions in Nigeria. We'll discuss how he learned about the power of the human-animal bond for children with special needs, the impact that he's been able to make through his organization, Dogalov, and the international community that he's discovered through his time as a Washington Mandela Fellow. Before we hop in, if you're just getting started on your therapy dog journey and feeling a bit lost, I've put together a free guide for you, which you can find on my website at freeguide.therapydogtalk.com. Without further ado, meet Dr. Sunday and his dog, Tish. Hello. Hi. How are you? (laughs) I'm doing great. Awesome. Dr. Sunday, for those who don't know you, can you please tell us a little bit about who you are and where you're from? First of all, I'm a Nigerian and I'm a veterinary surgeon and I'm a pet enthusiast as well. I'm a dog trainer. I'm a Mandela Washington fellow, like a million things in one. (laughs) I love it. How is it that you ended up discovering the role of therapy dogs? So first off, I had a nephew who was born in 2000. 2004. And when he grew up to be like a year, two years old, he pretty much couldn't do what like regular things of his age could do, being able to talk coherently and a whole lot of other things. And it was quite a concern for us as a family. So many years down the line, in 2015, I came across the video on the internet, a documentary on YouTube by this American called Nathan Selov. And Nathan documented his journey. He was born with autism, Asperger syndrome, a high functional type, which from everything I now got to know at that point, I also did feel like that was what was my nephew's case as well. And then Nathan shared in the video how he got to nine years old. He was beginning to, he was initially doing really well in school and he now began to decline in his academics, socially and every other way he was beginning to really experience that decline. And then his parents sought for a solution for him, did some research. Two years later, they decided to try out a therapy dog center in Pennsylvania, Susquehanna Service Dogs. And that was the beginning of his journey. And he documented like how his journey from then onwards and how he began to thrive academically, thrive socially, thrive in so many other ways. Not without challenges though. All of that was in the whole eight minutes video. And then beyond that, I also did research and then follow up with Nathan's story beyond, what do they call it, beyond the documentary. Mm -hmm. And so I saw how well he was now beginning to do in his life and the fact that he now also went ahead to propose to his neurotypical girlfriend who is now his wife Jess so all of that just inspired me to think about oh wow this is really good and this is something that could be of benefits to people in my country yeah that's awesome so that's really what inspired you to bring therapy dogs to Nigeria then well yes so but um, I'll put it this way so first off my nephew who I talked about we lost him in 2000 13. So sorry. So thank you so much. So he was nine years old when he died. And that was the point when, because of all the parental love that he was getting and everything, he was beginning to pick up. He was now beginning to talk and he was beginning to do a lot better and all of that. Um, even though 
well, irrespective of the stigma and all that he faced outside. So the parents tried to really concentrate on him and give him a lot of attention. So he was beginning to pick up. He was beginning to do a lot better. And then we lost him. And it was two years after we lost him that I saw that video on the internet of um, Nathan. Mm -hmm. So at first, I just felt like this was something really cool mm -hmm. and just admired it from that point. But sometime later, I did get to feel like, okay, well, so if this is something that I could really have used to help my nephew, and then unfortunately he's no more, so why don't we just, or why don't I just look for how to help other children who are like him to have life outcomes that are like that of Nathan Selov? Yeah. And so that's how this was all born. That's so beautiful. What are some of the challenges that you've encountered along the way in bringing therapy dogs to Nigeria? Oh my God. So I'd say like, there's a lot of them, <laughs> but maybe let me share like the top two or three. Sure. So first of all, going back to prehistoric times and many generations or decades ago, special needs children and or their parents, so either the child or the parents, were seen in many African cultures and also Nigerian cultures to be or were thought to be witches. So either the child was a witch or the parents were witches or one or both parents were witches. Okay. So today in the 21st century, that notion is no longer as strong as it was. But I think the stigma that left behind and all still lingers till date. And so the first challenge we have to battle with is the stigma. And that's the first challenge that anyone who's working with children with special needs in Nigeria has to battle with. Mm -hmm. I'll say like a typical example, a family who does have a child with special needs more often than not would not want to be publicly associated with the child. Mm -hmm. So that will manifest, for example, in saying that they could have the child kept away from society, kept away from people getting to know. It could many times be so bad as saying that if the people in the neighboring house may not even know they have such a child in the house okay. so they do everything they can to keep the child away from people mm. and stuff so that's like the first challenge that we encounter or anyone else who's working with special needs children in nigeria has to face so it can really be difficult to even find the children who would benefit from working with a therapy dog yep okay so when we decided to start up this journey that was one of the first things we also had to battle with and that's getting to access the child we first tried to see how we could access the child, probably through the family, but we discovered it was so hard to get to know which families even were open to saying or to agreeing with the fact that they had such a child and then they probably wanted us to. So then the next thing we decided to do was to, we decided to reach the children through the special education need centers. Okay. It was still hard at first because many of the special education need centers we approached had never even heard of it. There were a few of them that the owners had traveled outside the country before. So they had either seen it in action one way or the other, or they had read about it. And so like those were the ones who were open to us trying out anything or open to collaborations with us. And that was how we started. Okay. And then like the third challenge I probably want to mention is that of funding. In 2018, when we were on this journey already, and then I went to attend a, an autism conference in Lagos in Nigeria, I met these two women who were professionals, already doing one or two things around autism. And then like when they met me, they were so excited to see someone who was already taking baby steps to doing something about the whole animal-assisted interventions and human-animal bond thing. That's because they were initially looking for how to start up a project of such in Nigeria. They had 
had applied for a particular funding and then they were waiting on the funding source to come and then they kick up the project. And few dates, they had not been able to get the funding. So, but for us, with or without the funding, we've been able to find every way that we can get our foot in the door. We've been able to find how to get this out there. And then um, we have families and families and friends who also get to support us in one way or the other. And also some people who are enthusiastic about the work and then they choose to either like volunteer or give their time and all of that. So we've been able to grow in that way without um, any such, any external funding, so to speak. Okay. Switching gears just a little bit, who are your animal partners and what do they enjoy about this work? We currently have a number of animal species. We have a turtle and we do have some rabbits as well. We have two rabbits who we also get to work with. And one of the dogs is with me around here right down to <laughs> Tish, come say hello. So this is Tish. He's one of the dogs that we get to work with, and he's one of the, I'll say, crowd favorites. Aw, he's so cute. Yep, so Tish is a chihuahua, the long coat chihuahua. And so, like, Tish just loves to get the people, gets to pet him on the head. He loves to be petted around his chin as well. So just anything anything that gets him to have that exposure to people, Tish is just so excited. And then uh, one of the other dogs that we work with as well, he's called Bishop. Bishop would literally just do anything to get attention. And Bishop would equally do anything to just get a belly rub. So those are part <laughs> of the animals that we work with, that we go to the centers and all the other places that we go with. That's really great. What surprised you the most in this journey? Ooh. So that's like a really good question. So one of the major things that has been a surprise for us when we did realize it was the fact that we discovered that the international community was so into seeing this grow around the world. I never knew that this was something that people really had that much interest with. So with that, we've really got to meet people from different parts of the world who are so happy that we're doing this in Nigeria. So like that's how we also met, you know, for example. So like we meet with different people from different places, different organizations who, when they just hear about what we're doing in Nigeria with this work, are so happy about it and then just wants to, one way or the other, collaborate with us and then see how we can get to grow the work and all of that. So that has been one of the major surprising factors for us. I never knew there was that much level of love and support. (laughs) That's great. I love that. Yeah, I'm always interested to see who's working with therapy dogs around the world and to see even, you know, some of the differences in how that work sometimes looks depending on what the needs are in that country and everything. So it's really cool. Yeah. What do you enjoy the most about this work that you're doing? Okay, so two things. The first is the fact that I love that look of joy or happiness that I see on the faces of children we work with. Mm-hmm. And I love also hearing that feedback from their teachers, their therapists, their caregivers, the people that work with them that tell us that this is making, even if it's just the tiniest impact in that child yeah i'll give an example so like when we went for the first assessment trial we decided to do to see if this was even something that would work in our part of the world Mm -hmm. so there was the special needs center that opened their doors to us to come bring our animals and then see how this goes at their center so we went in there with two dogs that day we came to the center 
and then the children whose parents had given consent to participate showed up and yes all the children that came did really enjoy the time with the dogs and all of that and then they were really so excited and everything but we got feedback from the teachers and then they said this was of breakthrough potential for two particular boys who were in that session yeah. So then they said um, it was a breakthrough potential for these two boys, especially because these were boys that they had sought for anything that could serve as like a motivating factor to get to teach them, but they had found none. And then they had seen that these two boys just came alive when they saw the dogs. So those two boys were literally ready to do just about anything in that moment to get the opportunity to interact with the dogs and all. So the teachers gave feedback to the parents and then the parents got dogs for these two boys at home, which is what I hear. And then anytime to date that we visit that particular center, those boys, um, I think one of them has left the center. I think he has left the country, but the other one who's still around, anytime that we come around, he's still so excited to get to interact with the dogs. He's especially into the dogs. So he's so excited anytime we come around from the beginning to the end of the session. He's so happy and everything, so willing to do everything. And (laughs) so that's the first thing I would say um, gets me most excited about this. The second thing is the fact that, well, I've been a dog person from birth. So my father, first of all, made me a dog person without knowing growing up my dad made sure that we always had at least a dog in our family and so one of my dad's friends who was the first veterinarian from my tribe traveled to the uk once while we were children he came back from the uk with some trained german shepherd puppies and he gave my father one of those puppies and that particular puppy grew up and we named him skipper Skipper was so instrumental in our childhood he was not just a pet he was our friend we played with him and I mean, like our childhood history is really not complete without Skipper. So anything that just brings me in contact with dogs and all for me is like home. (laughs) I love that. So you mentioned that you're a Mandela Washington fellow. Can you share a little bit about that experience and how that shaped your work that you're doing now? So let me first of all explain what the Mandela Washington Fellowship is. So it's a capacity building program and an exchange program, yes that was instituted by President Obama while he was in office. And so what the program does every year is to look for about 700 change-making African youths and then bring them over to the United States, place them in different universities based on their line of work, and then give them some capacity building trainings, expose them to the U.S. community, also get to connect them to people within the U.S. that their work is quite similar to so that they can see like how the work is in other parts of the world. So in 2019, I was selected by the United States Department of State and I was placed in Lehigh University for my Mandela Washington Fellowship experience. Lehigh University is in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, and it was an amazing experience. One of the surprising things for me or one of the things that the experience made me see which was entirely new to me based on where I'm coming from in Nigeria and all, was the fact that I was... So there's a center in the Lehigh Valley. They are called Equilibrium. They do therapeutic horsemanship. So they have therapy horses at their center. And then these therapy horses help children with special needs and all. 
So the CEO of the center at the time was my mentor, was assigned to me as my mentor, or I was assigned to her, sorry, as a mentee. And one of the things that was striking for me there was that people at the center there were willing to, even parents and all, were giving consent for me to take pictures and videos and all of that of the children during like the therapy sessions and all. Yeah. And I was like, wow, okay, that's that's like entirely new to me. Mm-hmm. So like to date, if you notice, I rarely am able to post pictures and videos of what we do, like with the children and all. Yeah. And that's because even when we get to the centers, we don't have consent, yeah. like consent to take pictures and videos. Mm-hmm. So like the only pictures and videos I've been able to ever share of the center where, and that's like from way back, where pictures that were taken by the center the center that we went to do the assessment trial with. So they took pictures, they posted, and then we were now able to now post the pictures because they had posted. So that was quite striking for me at first. And then one of the major ways that the Mandela Washington Fellowship Experience has also shaped our work is the fact that it exposed me to the international community. So like that's where Mm. we began to meet with people from other parts of the world. And that's when we also came to see that people from other parts of the world are so happy to see what we're doing and to see how irrespective of the challenges that we have that we're forging on and everything. And so we've really enjoyed so much support, mentorship support and other kinds of support from people from different parts of the world because of all of that. So that's one of the major things that the Mandela Washington Fellowship did for us. It has given an international dimension and visibility to our work. That's really great. So now I have mentors from different parts of the world (laughs) and I'm collaborating with people from different parts of the world as well. That's amazing. What a great opportunity to have those connections. So last year, 2021, you organized the first ever intra-African animal-assisted intervention conference. What was your goal with that event and how do you hope to see it grow? Okay, so first of all, one of the major things we had been doing even before the Mandela Washington Fellowship and all was we're trying to reach out to different groups and trying to collaborate with different groups on different levels and also getting to speak with different groups to let them know about everything, animal-assisted interventions, everything, assistance, animals, everything about all of this, the human-animal bond. And so it was quite daunting because we're trying to reach out to different people at different times. And then one of my mentors now, Dr. Elizabeth Omrod, On our first meeting when we're talking and everything, and then she was sharing about the fact that she was one of those who were instrumental to bringing this work to the United Kingdom as well, the whole human-animal bond work and all. And that she started like almost 40 years ago, just about the point when I was born. And when we had the whole conversation and everything, and towards the end of that, our first meeting, I asked her a question. And I asked her, so with the benefit of hindsight, what would she have done better if she were in my shoes? And I'll never forget what she said. She said, well, so if she were in my shoes, from all she's come to see and learn and all, one of the main things she'll try to do is bring together all the different groups that I'm trying to work with and then talk to them at the same time about what the human-animal bond is and try to see how to share knowledge and information and probably like get that one-on-one feedback mechanism 
in place. And, and so that was how the conference was born. So we had it planned out as a town hall meeting initially to bring together people from the different groups in Nigeria that we had been meeting one-on-one with. Mm-hmm. So bringing them all together and then now bringing people from different parts of the world that are mentors and people who have had decades of experience in this now to speak with them. And then us also getting to be a part of that process. And so that's how it started. Okay. But then we discovered that, quite surprisingly, we had it planned out for Nigeria, for a Nigerian audience. Mm-hmm. But then we discovered that people were equally excited about it from different parts of the continent. Okay. And also a few people from different parts of the world. And so we discovered that we had people sign up from different countries in Africa. So we eventually did have people sign up and join in from about seven African countries. And during the event, some of them also shared about the fact that, like someone from Ghana shared about the fact that this was the first time he was hearing anything about this. Like in his country, in Ghana, he had never heard about or seen this in action. So from then onwards, we saw that people from different parts of the continent as well were willing to learn about this and then also probably take this back to their country and see how they can start this up in their place as well. So the initial goal was for us to just bring together different groups that we had been working with and then tell them about this work. So that makes it easier for us to collaborate with them and then they know everything they need to know without us having to do what we had been doing before then of reaching different groups one by one and all of that. That's great. And you have the second edition coming up soon, yes? Yes, we do have the second edition coming on August 3rd and 4th. And for this, we have professionals with decades of experience as well. For example, we have somebody coming in from Green Chimneys to speak with the audience. And Green Chimneys is one of the organizations that was one of the first organizations in the world to practice animal-assisted interventions and help people. I think they've been running for straight 75 years now. Wow. And working with special needs children for these 75 years, incorporating animals. And also bringing in Nathan Selov, the person whose video was my immersion to the whole human-animal bond practice. He's also coming in as well as one of the speakers for this year's conference. That's so cool that you've been able to connect with him and bring him in to share that story. Well, I love how you have been able to learn from others who pioneered animal-assisted interventions in their country and then apply it to your own. Do you have any advice for someone who's interested in pioneering this work in their area? So I'll probably say maybe two things. The first of which would be to just take a step. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, just take a step. As It may sound so easy and all, but then just take a step. Yeah. At first, it was discouraging. It was literally just like we were trying to push through and everything was just closed to us and we're still doing everything we could to push through. But now we're at a stage where it's a lot easier to be able to get to reach out. It's a lot easier for people to listen to us because of where the points where we've come to and the point where we have grown to. So the most important thing I'll say or the first thing I'll say to anyone who wants to also pioneer this in their place is take a step and just keep taking whatever steps you can take. And then the next thing I would probably want to say is as much as you can, invest in learning about this. And I'll say this in the sense of invest in learning to know what obtains, what are the standards, what are the practices, what are the terminologies. 
So like when I took my course with Oakland University, one of the first things that was a shocker for me was I discovered that much of the terminology and much of the assumptions I had about the whole human-animal bond before coming into the course were completely false. <laughs> Or we're completely wrong. Yeah. And so that was one of the first things I now had to deal with. And now having to reorient myself and all, and then learning what the standard practices were, what everything that now applied to what it is globally. Yeah. So two things. First of all, take a step. And then secondly, as much as you can, invest in getting the right knowledge. Yeah. I love that you put those in that order because even if your terminology wasn't aligned with other best practices in the world or whatever, you were still able to take that step and get started. And I think that's so important. Yep. That's awesome. Definitely. Well, I don't want to take too much of your time. Where can people find you if they want to learn more about the work that you're doing or to support that work? So on social media, so that's like Instagram, Twitter, and the likes, um, at Dr. Senos, D-R-S-E-N-O-S. Okay. So at Dr. Senos, at D-R-S-E-N-O-S. Alternatively, they could equally reach out to my organization's social media handles. That's at Pet Dogalov, P-E-T, Dogalov, D-O-G-A-L-O-V. There's no E at the end. Okay. At Pet Dogalov. Yes. So any of those would easily get to me or also reaching out through LinkedIn or through Facebook with my name, Sunday Agbonika. <laughs> awesome. I can't wait to see the great things that you're making happen there. It's such beautiful work. And I'm looking forward to your conference in a, just, just, what, six weeks here? It's coming up. Yep. It's, it's so soon already. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you taking the time to share what you're doing over there. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really awesome, amazing talking with you and, and sharing about our work. <laughs> awesome. Give Tish some good scratches for me. Definitely will. <laughs> Take care. All right. Bye-bye. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of Therapy Dog Talk. If you did, please do me a favor and leave a review and rating on the podcast platform of your choice. If you have a guest that you think would be a great fit for Therapy Dog Talk, send me an email at hello at therapydogtalk.com. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next week.